Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO of Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guests are Dan Garrity, President and CPA with Garrity & Associates in Las Vegas, Nevada. Dan has extensive background in trust and estate work, and I've enjoyed having the opportunity to work with him in recent years. David Holmes is a director with Garrity & Associates, also has a strong background in trust and estate work. I asked Dan and David to participate in this episode today to discuss Nevada family offices. In a previous episode, we discussed Nevada family private trust companies. Thanks for joining me again today, Dan and David. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us, Mary. Can we just start by talking, I mean, today we're going to talk specifically about this family office structure and how you can use this lender bagel case that's out there in the family office context. But let's start by just talking about what is a family office? Well, family offices usually are set up, but 
people with substantial wealth, but it's really to manage their family affairs, to manage their investments, to manage their all their business entities. Um, obviously, the more wealth you have, the more complicated your life becomes because of you need to manage that wealth. And the family office helps people do that. It can be set up to really make sure all all business activities are being managed properly, that you have the right subcontractors, if that's what you're using, the right professionals in place. And um, it can really be used to get your family involved in that, hire your kids, if you if that makes sense, doesn't always. And um, really to manage all of the assets and business entities that the family has. So let's say a, let's Go say ahead, a, a family has like 10 different business entities and then they have 10 different trusts. Just those are nice even numbers. And so option one is that each of those business entities have a manager, which they might anyway, and then each of the trusts has a you know trustee and somebody managing the assets. And to the extent, let's say, hey, you and I are providing legal and accounting services to those entities, so we bill each of the 20 entities total, and everything runs, and we have all of this. Or we can create a family office and create a little more efficient structure where everything can be run through the professional's to the extent where outside professionals can be employed by the family office on behalf of all the entities. I mean, there's some exceptions. I'm right. oversimplifying it intentionally, right? But at the end of the day, from that perspective, it kind of simplifies it. And you can have a management function, somebody who's overseeing everything from that, makes it easy to employ instead of having payrolls for each company, you can even potentially have you know, some guy that's, providing the management oversight for the 10 business entities might work for the family office. That's exactly right. You can centralize that management. And and just because you have one person managing a business, as a family, you need to look at all those businesses together. And that's where the family office can come in too, is you do have one person that can oversee and, and manage the managers of each of those businesses to make sure things are centralized, and in the end, you get the best structure for the family. And there's some tax efficiencies. There's several of them, but we're going to specifically talk about the lender one. So there are different types of family office structures, and you can go hire. You can build your own you know, family office. You can go hire what's a multifamily office that's serving multifamilies. So what type of family might be best off just creating their own private family office? Well, I, it's it's going to be somebody that obviously has substantial wealth and then has high cost because to set up the family office, it does, is it's another entity. It adds more filing requirements for taxes, legal work. Um, so it adds more complexity to the family structure. Every time you add an entity, you add more complexity. But you need to have, in my opinion, um, expenses that, if we're looking at the lender case in particular, like where we want to set up um, a, a family structure that can 
use the carried interest, that lender strategy, I guess we'll get into in a little bit, you, know, you need to have at least 100000 to 150000 of expenses that are going to be, that we want to run through that. So just to do that math, what you're saying is it's a cost-benefit analysis, right? There's going to be a cost to creating the family office. There's going to be tax return filings. There will be annual or biannual reports depending on the state. Yes. You might have another payroll. Yeah, your accounting and legal. And so what you've got to look at is here's the expenses, here's the tax benefits. And so you you gave me a great segue into the next part because at one point – We'd structure family offices as an LP or LLC, and we might compensate in the form of management fees from the various entities, but due to the limitations on deductions and the way the overall taxes worked, these structures weren't particularly tax efficient. And so I look at them for clients and go, well, we can get that centralization of management, but I'm not really going to, I don't really have any big tax benefits for you. We might get a little here. And as you mentioned in our previous episode, if you're doing a family trust company, we have options on the tax selection. Same is true for family offices as family trust companies, which can be part one and the same, right? But in in the current world, what we had in 2017, we had two things happen. So we had the tax cuts and job acts, which reduced the corporate tax rate. And then we had the lender case. The TCGA also disallowed certain deductions under 2012. So why don't you just talk about why those changes made this a tax-efficient structure? Yeah, let's just start with um, the elimination of deductions that individuals and trusts can take under Code Section 2012, which are expenses incurred to produce income. Basically, it's investment expenses. So... If, if you have entities that are made up uh, like a family partnership that's all marketable securities, all your broker fees, all your asset management fees are 212 expenses. And if they flow through to a trust or an individual, those are not currently non-deductible. Um, and let's though- just footnote that we've seen tons of business exits the last few years, right? So we have lots of clients who've converted a business to a couple million or many, many millions of dollars, and those investment expenses can really add up. And the deduction for them is asset management fees, right? And just the family office itself, the cost if it's all for managing investments. Those. So if you have a partnership that holds raw land, those any expenses of holding that land are investment expenses under two twelve you pay a management fee to manage that entity, that's a non-deductible expense that passes out. Um, If you, on the other hand, if it's all rental property and you're paying management expenses to manage the rental, that could be allocated as a trader business expense under 162 and, and allocated against the rental income, which you would get a deduction there. Um, but when you have, especially our clients that have sold their businesses, like you just said, they're setting a substantial uh, marketable securities or even private equity funds. Um, the expenses, the asset management fees are just not deductible under current tax law. Um, and so lender came in where 
we're trying to convert those ex- we want to convert those expenses so that they're treated as trader business expenses. Um, and how you know how do we do that? And I don't know if you want me to pull right into that, but um, but I, I think so. But before we go there, so I'm just going to clarify. Let's just say you know, do the math. If you have you sold your business for twenty million, and it might be quite a bit more, but let's just use twenty million. Right. And so your investment expenses on that might be a couple hundred thousand. Right. Yeah. A little bit more than that in most cases, right? So right there, when we talk about a couple hundred thousand plus in investment expenses, if we can recover that, the cost of the family office structure is suddenly not so onerous and is going to actually result in potential significant savings. Exactly. And it'll and and how we get there is one is we have to put those investments into an LLC or family limited partnership and then set the family office up as the manager of those entities and give the family office what's called a carried interest. Really, it's a preferred profit interest, um, in which case the family office will get the first X percent of those profits. Maybe it's 1% of the fair market value of the assets that it gets that profit interest for in exchange for managing the the company that, and um, so because it's in the business of management, hopefully we convert those expenses that the family office is paying into trader business expenses because they're in the trader business of managing assets and managing various assets and so, but you got to work the math. You got to look at the cash flow. What expenses are we going to be covering there? Is there enough profits to pay for that? And and setting up the right agreements um, with each of the entities. But you would put, if it's real estate, you know, I've had clients with lots and lots of real estate. Each of those are in multiple LLCs. Well, maybe we put a holding LLC over the top of those and give it a carried interest to the fam, the family office. The same with um, uh, if we got twenty million in assets. And wait, I'm just going to stop you there for one second on the real estate because when you're talking about that in the real estate context, because the carried interest promote in some cases is really common in real estate, but in this context of the family office, we're specifically talking about using the carry in a structure right. to recover the investment expenses as a tax deduction that otherwise would not be deducted. I just wanted to make sure I was following that and right. making that distinction. Right. So say the LLC's example, LLC set with 20 million of marketable securities and you have asset management fees of 200,000 on that to say, for example, um, we would have the family office pay those management fees and use just as we get profits from that entity that carried interest preferred profit interest we'd pay distributions to the family office and that would provide the cash flow to pay those asset management fees um and you're able to um reduce the profits that are being allocated to the other members 
because the family office is getting those profits allocated first to it before we allocate to the other members of that LLC. And then the family office has the expenses to offset those profits. And, but we need to run it as a, you know, as a profitable trader business, we need to have a profit motive. We need to have substantial activity to make it a trader business of managing those assets. So we do want to look at the structure and make sure we're doing it right, especially if it's flow through and we're trying to get the results of um, the lender case. So let's um, talk about that trader business requirement for just a minute, because that's really like as you're saying, we go to the lender case. It's really important if you're looking at this because we have the lender case out there that says this is how you can make this happen and make it work. There's another case out there that kind of tells us this probably isn't going to work. And that's like, hey, if I just set up a family office and it's just me and just my investments and there's nobody else involved, probably doesn't work, right? So the trader business really matters. Can you speak just a little more to what it looks like to have that family office qualify as a trader business? You you may want to have people on payroll for the office. You want to have... um, your activity where you're analyzing, okay, if you do have asset managers, you're you're overseeing those asset managers, you're making decisions for those asset managers, everything's running through that family office. You ha- you know, you want to provide as much business activity in the management of those assets being conducted through the family office as you can. Um you want to make sure you're having those meetings. You're you're reviewing everything. The more entities you have under that structure, the better. Um, I think what case was it that basically said if you're just managing your own personal assets, that's not a trader business. Um, that was yeah, I forget the name of that case. Now, I did too, so we should know it. I'll, I'll yeah, it I have it some written here. This is Mary Vandenack, the host of Legal Visionaries. I want to share some information today about one of our sponsors, Collaborative Planning Group. Collaborative Planning Group is an organization that consults with clients in regard to life insurance, long-term care, and disability. I have personally had the opportunity to work with Erica Moorhead, the founder, president, and CEO of Collaborative Planning. I can personally vouch for the knowledge, expertise, and client focus of the organization. Collaborative planning has expertise and a great process to create solutions, implement strategies, and review plans annually to give their clients peace of mind. An important aspect of working with collaborative planning is their true collaboration with other professionals, including financial advisors, attorneys, and CPAs to ensure that clients have their full team and that all products have a purpose and align with the objectives of the client. Collaborative Planning Group provides honest, transparent, quality life, disability, and long-term care insurance plans that will be there when you need them. Visit collaborativeplanninggroup.com today to learn more. Well, we'll come back to it and name it if we run into that in your notes, Dan, because I think you and I actually talked about that case when we were looking at a particular project 
and said, hey, we have this extreme of the, not extreme, but the lender case that says, hey, look at this one when you want to know how to do it. And we have another case out there that says, yeah, this doesn't work. And right. you got to decide if you're somewhere in between what's going to make it look more like the lender case than the case where the guy was just setting it up to manage his own assets and it was just him and nobody else. And so the lender actually had you know, one son who did, you know, actually did some of the management that didn't involve the other kids and there were some differing ownerships and things like that in there. And you might not always get to the set of facts there. Yeah, it gets it gets hard to get to the set of facts, especially like the lender case. They did have outside parties investing in their partnerships. So you may not always get there. And then it makes it a little tougher to get, especially if all of the entities are all 100% owned by your family. I mean, you have entities owned by trust, you have different ownerships, but it's just it gets a little tougher when you don't have any outside parties invested in these that you're managing. And in that case where was the Higgins case that said that a family office's activities um, uh, substantially beyond the family office's activities need to go substantially beyond the management of the owner's investments. And so maybe you have, who is the owner is is somebody who has a smaller percentage ownership in this in the family office, right? Because the family offices, even though it's in a profit motive, may not grow as far as value that much. Um, but the, but you got to look at the Higgins case versus the lender's case are the two cases to look at. Um, another option that I look at is if I'm worried about that trader business activity, is maybe set up the office family offices as a c-corp um, the c-corp doesn't have that 212 limitation um, where it is able to deduct investment expenses um, but you have to be careful that's not a personal service corp it will be a personal holding company most likely if it's marketable securities a lot of interest dividends coming in um, but you can manage around that that's if I'm worried about the trader business part of it because it's all owned by the same family, then I, I look at the C Corp. Now there's risk there, um, but I think those can be managed. And so, really, that comes down to the specific facts of the family. So, the Higgins case was the guy just, and he was, I think, doing his own management too, but you might be able to take that same guy and it might be mostly his assets, but he sold his business and he's busy flying around the world on his new jet and chartering yachts. He doesn't really want to be involved, so he hires a bunch of people to oversee his assets and the real estate he's converted assets into. You probably get to a trader business with that right. model, even if you have one investor's assets. Yeah, because like in Lender, the grandson was doing managing the family office, and he had only less than 10% interest in the entities he was managing. So that took you out of the Higgins case scenario. Um, so, in, and it also Lender, they also had, um, like I said, outside parties invested in some of their family LLCs that the court's because of those facts, 
ruled that it was trader business expenses. So I'm just going to buzz to David. As usual, Dan and I have been monopolizing the conversation. Just want to know if you have any footnotes for us. I think we pretty well covered the subject. Um, I think one of the principal benefits of a family office is the ability to centralize and uh, amalgamate the family's wealth and have it all pushing in the same direction. Oftentimes, the second or third generations will have diverse views on where they want their money to be utilized uh, and how they want it to be utilized. And the family office allows you to centralize that uh, and allow for all of the family wealth to grow in the same direction uh, and to move in the same direction, which is uh, a multiplier effect for each family's independent set of wealth. And, and I would footnote that comment and say, move in the same direction, yet can do so in a manner that also accommodates some potentially differing interests of family members, right? Like I have one guy who's like, I'm going to put so much money into each of my kids' businesses, and they might be different businesses, but we're operating it through that centralized family office. So my next question is, so we talked in a previous episode about the private family trust company and the specific advantages of Nevada for those. So in the family office world, you can really create a family office in any of the 50 states. So in this realm, is there an advantage to Nevada? Yes, uh, I believe so. I think Nevada has better asset protection laws than most states um, for you know charging interest only on an LLC forever. Also, again, if uh, there's no state income tax, and so that puts it again as a better position than most states, in my opinion, to run the um, family office. Um, And that's really, I think, the biggest issue in the state income tax is probably one of the bigger ones. So my last question is going to be on the estate planning piece, which, I mean, really all of this has been about estate planning, so to speak. But then when I'm looking at the estate plan and how I'm transitioning the wealth outside the, like the family office itself, does the family office have a particular role there beyond the income tax planning? It, it can. Um, I'd like to just place it in a, have it started with a trust. You know, we have to be careful with, you know, Potential gift taxes is a carried interest that we give it to the family office. Is that a, a potential gift? You know, I would argue it's not, but there's still a gray area there. Um, and are we running this family office to substantially grow in value or are we running it where it's going to stay relatively flat in value. And those are all the considerations on how we set up the, you know, family office. But usually anytime I set up a new entity, if I can set it up in a dynasty trust, that's where I want to put it um, myself, because I'd rather any, any new assets I add that have potential for growth, I want to take out of the estate. And so really, when we're looking at the estate plan, we create family limited partnerships, put those in dynasty trusts. The family office is really 
we're not necessarily accumulating wealth there so much as managing assets. So it really is more of asset protection, income tax planning, and we look at some other vehicles. I just wanted to kind of clarify right. that it's a, a little bit different vehicle and its function. And if you build one, they kind of consider that and how you structure it, what you keep in it. And you don't necessarily buy real estate in the family office. You might have that in the family limited partnership that the family office manages. Exactly. I mean, I normally do not put assets in the family office if I can, It other than that carried interest it has. But all the investments are held outside. And that's where your wealth is going to grow for the family is in 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 the other entities that the family office is managing. So. I'm going to go to the any last thoughts question. So I'll start with you, David. Any last thoughts on this topic today? We haven't really talked in this session about the amount of assets that you want to be under control of the family office. We have talked that you need to do a cost analysis in our uh, session on private trusts, but I think the same analysis needs to be done here as well. There are going to be costs associated with the family office, and you have to weigh those costs against the potential benefit, both pre-tax and after-tax, of utilizing a family office. So I think there is some quantitative analysis that needs to be done before you jump onto this bandwagon, by all means. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Any last thoughts, Dan? Just the last one is you also have to worry about any SEC regulations. Would the family office need to be registered? Generally not if it's just for the family. But if it's in the business of managing assets, do we meet some of the exceptions for registration under the SEC? Um, And generally you would in most, in all of the cases I've worked with with our families, but it's something to consider and, and look at to make sure you're okay. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me today. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Media Production.